Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Chapter 15 from verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received on, and which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word i preach to you otherwise you have believed in vain for what i received i passed on to you as first as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Then we're skipping to the end of that chapter. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. I should just say up front, um, just so word doesn't get out, otherwise um, we're not pregnant. Um, uh, my parents would probably be happy about that. My wife would be a little bit surprised. Um, so just to put that out there up front, no babies on the way. I've got three boys. And that's enough. Um, okay, it, it is a strange thing that we are doing here today. It is a strange thing we're doing. Uh, over the past uh, 30 years or so, you go back longer, but let's just take 30 years, the role of the church in Australia, the place of the church in Australia has shifted significantly, significantly. Uh, statistics show that church attendance across Australia has declined significantly. Around 6% of Australians go to attend a church on Sundays, of all different kind of flavours. The average age of church in Australia is significantly higher than it used to be. The average age is about 53. Uh, and Christians within society as well, uh, rather than the church holding a, a central place in the activities of the community, Christians now are viewed with suspicion and often anger from a lot of society. And if you ask the average person in Australia... Uh, about church, one of my friends described it, describes it as there is a, a thin veneer of anger towards churches and Christianity, but below that is a, a deep sea of apathy to what Christians might believe. Which makes today quite odd, doesn't it? Because why would so many people meet here and across churches all over Australia weekly and associate themselves with Jesus so publicly in a society that views Christianity as such an aberration. Why is it that Ryan, a capable and promising young man, would today publicly give his life to an organisation that seems to be on the decline? It feels like opening a Blockbuster store, doesn't it? You know? Do you remember Blockbuster? If you don't, it's like Netflix, but about 30 years ago. 
You would go and rent. You know, why would you invest in that? It makes no sense. What kind of decision is that? What kind of decision is this today? Well, this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the Apostle Paul, this is what he says. He says there is a reason, not just a temporal reason that affects the next 20, 30 years, but an eternal reason as to why it is that this all makes sense. And here's the question I want to explore today. Why is it? What is the reason? How does he get to the conclusion that what we are doing here today and the things that Christians have based their lives upon for 2,000 years is not something that will ever go away. In fact, it is something which provides hope beyond what we have now. And I really want to drive into the drill and just this verse 58 in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not sure if you've got Bibles or you've got phones. If you can open it up, that'd be great. 1 Corinthians 15, follow with me. Otherwise, I will read it out where I talk about it. But the first word in the version I've got that Paul uses, at the, right, the last verse in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, therefore. And the question you always want to ask when someone starts that sentence with therefore is, what is the therefore, therefore? What is his argument? Well, here's where it begins. The heart of Paul's worldview, the heart of how he sees how the world ticks, is the resurrection of Jesus. That is right at the heart of what he does. So in the first 57 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, that is precisely what he argues. You can see it. You heard it when Ross was reading it before in those uh, verses 3 to 8, that middle bit. And this is what he says. What I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, then to twelve, and he appeared to five hundred more at the same time, most of whom are still living. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles, and then he appeared to Paul. And through that entire chapter, Paul will unpack the implications of the resurrection. Paul argues not for a spiritual, metaphorical resurrection, but a physical resurrection of someone who physically died, was dead for three days, rose to life, and then was witnessed to by hundreds of people. And he says, if you take that physical resurrection away, you haven't just lost part of what Christianity is, he says you have no Christianity. There is nothing. Let me illustrate like this. We all understand uh, what soccer, even if we hate it, what soccer or rugby league or netball, we all understand those games. Sorry. And every year the authorities tweak the rules, they change the rules a little bit just to improve the game, just to help things improve. Now, imagine one year, uh, the people who run the games decided that each of those sports would be better off without a ball. What have you got? You've just got a bunch of people standing around pointlessly, don't you? That's what you've got. Awkwardly. You've removed something absolutely fundamental. And here's Paul's argument. If you remove the physical resurrection of Jesus, you just leave a bunch of people sitting around awkwardly on Sundays. That's what you do. Getting together for no other reason that they might enjoy the building or the people or they think they have something in common. Christianity just ends up being this, this weird husk, this shell of nice ideas that some people are drawn to 
and some people are alienated by, and most people just don't care. You might be hearing thinking, well, that is exactly what Christianity is. It's what it feels like to people. Just one worldview of lots of them, one more weird group of people trying to convince everyone else that they're important. And well, part of me would agree with you if it were not for the fact of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. That Jesus lived, died, and I'm convicted that he rose again. Not a spiritual resurrection, not a metaphorical resurrection, a physical resurrection. And in that moment, in that rising from the dead, Paul will say, hope was given to the world. We knew that what Jesus had said before his death, that he was the hope for life, was true. And that there is hope and struggle now, but there is an eternity with a new creation to come. And Paul the Apostle says in this section that, look, if you can prove that the resurrection did not happen, you can undo Christianity. And what we're doing here today, well, this is just Ryan being hoodwinked. That's what it is. This is all of us being hoodwinked. Millions before us have been. But, but, the resurrection is true. If Jesus rose from the dead, if he was witnessed to by hundreds of people, well, that should change how we not only see the world, well, that should change the shape of our entire life. So when he says in verse 58 here, when he says therefore, he's saying, because Jesus has risen from the dead and because he has brought hope to the world in the face of death, therefore, shape your life around that. Because that is not in vain. Shape your life around it. Because a life shaped around that is not in vain. I don't know if you've seen on Disney Plus that Broadway show Hamilton. The moment it's long. It's very good, but it's very long, very long. And I'm not ashamed to say I knew nothing of Alexander Hamilton beforehand. He was one of the founding fathers of the United States, and the show is about him and how he shaped the nation. That's all you need to know. All you need to know. Look, I won't ruin the end for you. Suffice to say that uh, you do need to set aside a good three hours of your life. Um, and grab someone's Disney Plus login to watch it. Um, it. Look, if you watch it with kids, set aside more than three hours as well because it's much more painful. Anyway, the thing that comes across in Hamilton that is so remarkable about Alexander Hamilton is his single-minded determination to pursue freedom and liberty in this fledgling colony. And for all his flaws, and as with all of us, there's so many, but for all his flaws, there's something to admire about Alexander Hamilton, about someone who gives their life and is shaped by something that is so much bigger than themselves. This is a weird year, wasn't it? It was a weird year. This is a strange year where people were forced. Like, we have never been forced to, as long as I can remember anyway, forced to stop and reflect on what it is that actually shapes our life, what it is that we value, what it is we are doing. All the comfort and the predictability of which Australia 
uh, has so much of, it abounds in, it, it often breeds a sense of apathy to those much deeper questions in life. You can just get away with not asking them most of the time. But this year forced people to stop and think, didn't it? Where am I going? What do I value? What are my priorities? What is shaping me? Now, for some people, the answers to those deep, meaningful questions were found in sourdough and kombucha cultures and learning the guitar and mindfulness. Now, nothing wrong with any of those, apart from probably the kombucha cultures, which I'd see my experience is they just grow and take over the house over time. It's like that movie, The Blob. Remember the movie, The Blob? Now, well, I've got your Saturday, Sunday afternoon sorted. If you haven't seen The Blob, uh, 1958, Steve McQueen. Anyway, go watch it. It takes over. Anyway, surely, though, surely, in this moment, in this strange year where we have been forced to reflect, surely, as we see the brokenness in the world and we see our, our culture struggling to grapple with what that means, surely this year has exposed much deeper needs and to search for much greater answers than sourdough or kombucha. Paul is saying here, step back for a moment. Think about eternity. Shape your life around things which will not fade away. Those other things are not bad, nothing wrong with them, they just won't last. So enjoy them, but don't build your life on them. If Jesus did physically rise from the dead, well, he says it should shape and infiltrate every aspect of our lives. How can it not? It's an event that changed the world. The resurrection is true. There's no way we can be apathetic towards it, which is why Paul says to those he's writing to, this is the foundation that we need to shape our lives around. Don't move from it. Be steadfast, he says. Be immovable on this truth of the resurrection. And give yourselves fully to this thing that he calls the work of the Lord. Now that is a really important phrase for uh, people who would say they follow Jesus, but particularly as well for Ryan today as he thinks about what he is doing. Uh, Paul, for Paul, the, the truth of God's grace and, and calling it, being reconciled to God, being in Christ, it fills down to every aspect of our lives. It shapes who we are, husbands, fathers, sons, friends, colleagues, neighbour, coach, boss, employee. There's no area that doesn't go untouched. And you read Paul's writings and that's exactly what he does. The, the truth of the gospel and he, he drags it across into our lives and it filters down. You read his letters and that's what he does. But that's not quite what he's saying here. It's true, but it's not quite what he's saying here. Rather, rather than a description of, of how it is that God's grace shapes our behaviour here, what Paul is driving people to consider here is the trajectory of their life, the direction of their life, the, the shape of their life. He's saying God has a plan and he has a purpose for the world and that is to reconcile the world to himself in Jesus, to, to bring the lost back. And when they come to him, he, he works in their lives to make them more like the person who has saved them, Jesus. And he reminds them and he promises them that he will bring them home out of the brokenness into a new creation. But in this, God has a trajectory for the world that he's 
moving towards, a direction for the world. And what Paul is saying here is that Paul has given his life to this. That's what his life is about. And you, you keep flicking over into 1 Corinthians 16 and you see in 1 Corinthians 16, 10 that, that Timothy, his padwan, his, his mentor, he, he has given his life to that as well. And he's calling the Corinthians to do the same. He says, be steadfast in this, be immovable, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Don't hold back. Orient your life around, no matter where you are, who you are, where you live, what's your situation, orient all that you have. Your mind, your resources, your energy, your relationships to that end because at the end of verse 58, that work is not in vain. That work is not in vain. Why? How does it differ from other work we might do? Well, the key to understanding that is understanding what he means when he uses that word vain. It's not vanity looking in a mirror, not that kind of vain. In fact, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, a, a book in the Old Testament, picks this up and fleshes it out through the whole book. And Paul, while he may not be thinking directly of Ecclesiastes, he, he uses it in the same kind of way. And Ecclesiastes essentially says, you know, there's a time for everything in the world, but we live in the world as finite creatures. That's who we are. We've got a sense that there's something more, something eternal, but we are finite creatures in the world. And as finite creatures, it would be a grave mistake. It would be vanity. It would be silly to think that we can hold on to the finite infinitely. It just doesn't work like that. But Ecclesiastes says, when you try to do it, when you try to grasp the intangible, the things that will naturally slip through our fingers over time, when you try to do that, the world becomes a very frustrating place. We have friendships and we have family. But if we have the expectation that they will always be there and pain and brokenness and suffering and death will never enter the picture, we will be disappointed. The world will be a brutal place. It will be painful. And Ecclesiastes says, look, being finite doesn't mean it's pointless, rather. It just means we need to understand the things that are finite and enjoy them for what they are. Don't grasp them and hold on to them as if they'll never disappear, but rather enjoy them in the moment as if they're a gift from God. Now, when Paul says here that this labour in the Lord is not in vain, what he's saying is this. The resurrection is one of those things which will never disappear. In fact, the implications of the resurrection are that it makes this and all those who put their trust in that eternal. So he starts off 1 Corinthians 15 and he says that the central truth of the gospel, by this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. If the gospel is hollowed out and the resurrection is not there, the eternal nature of the gospel is removed and there's no point, it's pointless, it's vanity to believe in it. And he says in verse 14, as you're reading through 1 Corinthians 15, if it is that Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then my preaching to you is vanity as well. It's vain, it's useless, it's pointless because it all hinges on the resurrection. And he ends by saying this, 
There is one thing that is not vain, one thing that is not pointless, one thing that will not disappear, that is the hope of the resurrection. And lives that are shaped around that. Because those things will echo into eternity. So the resurrection breaks out of a finite world. And it speaks into the world that is to come. And Paul is saying, reorient your lives and your thinkings if you are trusting in Jesus around that. Because that will never fade. Let me say three things. I'll finish up here. Three quick things. First is this. Look, if you are here and you're still investigating Jesus uh, and why people have been so fascinated with him for 2,000 years and why even now in Southside, McGregor, People meet every week to do this and why across the world millions of people meet to remember what Jesus has done, even at the cost of imprisonment and death in some places. And why is that, that Ryan today and, and Ryan and Sarah as a family are giving their lives and their future to this? Well, can I say, the answers are found in the resurrection. It is found in the resurrection. Christians do not give their lives to the teachings of a dead man. Christians give their lives to a person who predicted that he would suffer, who predicted that he would die, and who predicted that on the third day he would rise again. again. That is an impressive feat. That is something only that God can do. So if you want to understand Ryan and Sarah, or you want to understand your friend who's a Christian who dragged you along today, or you want to understand Christians in general, well, the place to start is with the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know at Southside uh, that, that Ryan and Ben and Ross are keen to help people explore that. So if, talk to any of them, and that, if that's you, talk to them and they will help you explore it. Here's the second thing. Just a quick word for those who might already know Jesus. The title of this talk was Thank God for a Life of Ministry. Thank God for a life of ministry. Now, it's strange. That might seem like a strange title. It's like saying, you know, thanks God for giving me more stuff to do on top of the stuff I'm already juggling in my life. You know, that's exactly what I need at the moment. Do we really need more stuff? You know, is anyone sitting around at home thinking, oh, I'd just like my Saturday to be more full? That's what I want. Now, I'm not sure about you, but after years being, I'm exhausted. I don't want more jobs. I don't want more things in my calendar. I feel like I'm already doing too many things, and most of them I'm doing too badly. But I wonder about actually whether what's happening here is a misunderstanding of how we see ministry. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, there was this tribe called the Levites, and they were set aside to minister to God. They were the priests. They were set aside to minister to God on behalf of the whole of Israel. And you get to the New Testament, and Peter the Apostle in his writing says that now it's no longer other people mediating between people and God. Now it's Jesus. And you're all priests a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. All God's people now are representatives of God to the world, declaring his praises. So here's the orientation in our heads that we want to make, the shift in our worldview. The privilege is not doing more things. In fact, the call is not to do more things either. The privilege and the call is to do those things which not just change lives now, but change eternity for people. 1% of Southside. That is a lofty goal. That is a goal that only God can bring about. I'll tell you what, of the 2.5 million people in Brisbane, that's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. 
That's a lot of people who don't understand God's grace. What a privilege that we have a message that we know moves people and doesn't reshape the next 30, 40, 50 years of their life, but reshapes their eternity. It speaks into the brokenness they might be feeling. It says God is restoring all things and there is hope. Here's the last thing. Let me finish with a very specific word. This is a smaller segment of the uh, group in the room today that I can possibly use. Very specific application, that's to Ryan. In a lot of organisations I work with as well as the ones that I work for and uh, the job descriptions have, um, they sometimes reflect the reality of the job, sometimes. Um, Most of the time they have a little phrase at the bottom which is where most of the job lives and that phrase looks like this, uh, other duties as required, other duties as required. Now, look, Ryan, there are going to be things that you do as you lead God's people. At times you are going to be a graphic designer, good or ill, I don't know. At times you're going to be a chauffeur, at times you're going to be a printer, at times you're going to be a photocopy repairman, at times you're going to be a handyman, a professional seat stacker, counsellor, wedding planner, funeral arranger. These are all the things that fall under that category of any other duties as required. There's lots of things you are going to be called to do that are not unimportant to the role, but as shepherd to God's people today, before the people who are calling you, supporting you, who you are leading, let me remind you of your primary goal, your primary purpose. You are called to remind those around you what it looks like to live in light of the resurrection. That is your goal. Did you see that in verse 1 where Paul says it? He writes these things. He writes them to remind them of the gospel that he preached, to remind them again that Christ died for sins according to Scripture, was buried, raised and appeared. When Peter the Apostle writes again, he writes in his letter, he says the same thing, I write to you to refresh your memory of what it is that God has done for them in Jesus, because we forget, because the world captures our imagination and we want to think not about the now only, but about what is to come. Many people will have expectations on you as to what this role should be. Many people. But here it is. Preach the gospel. When it's popular, when it's not popular, your role is not to solve the problems of the people of God. God will take care of that. Your role is to remind them of what God has done for them in Christ. So equip them for the life that they are to live here and where the world is going and mobilise them to orient themselves and shape their lives so that what we do here and now has impacts in helping people see the light that is Christ and the hope that is to come. That's a challenging calling. What a privilege, though, to serve God's people in that way. Never lose sight of your calling as a shepherd. Let me pray. Father, we do stop and give you thanks that what Paul the Apostle wrote down, what he passed on as of first importance, that Christ died for sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised. 
and that in that resurrection there is hope for a lost world. Father, we pray that if we do not know Jesus, we may place our trust in him. We pray that if we do, we might shape our lives around him. And we pray for Ryan, that as he leads your people, that he might point them to Christ's sacrifice, to the resurrection and to the world to come. Amen.